pick your head up at the end of every single week and say, am I look working on the right stuff? Am I elevating my practice? And that's what's going to help elevate you and make you better at your craft faster than anything else. Hi, I'm Maggie Bean, and welcome back to the final episode of season two of the New to Product Marketing Podcast. Today, we're joined by Martina Lauchenko, who among many things is the author of my favorite product marketing book, Loved, How to Rethink Marketing for Tech Products. I want to thank our season two sponsor, the Product Marketing Alliance. Stay tuned to the end of the episode to learn how you can get 10% off their core certification course. And without further ado, let's hear from Martina. Welcome, Martina, to the podcast. It's so nice to officially meet you. It's really great to be here. Thanks so much, Maggie. So we actually read your book for our new to PMM book club. So I think a lot of our listeners will be familiar with your work. We had the best time discussing it. I'm so excited to dive in some more about some of the topics you covered. If you could describe Loved a little bit for our audience, that would be great. So I wrote Loved to help people understand the foundational aspects of product marketing, irrespective of how your company does it, so that people had a framework that they could apply regardless of where they were in the org, what level they were at, and could grow using that same framework. So Love basically introduces the four foundational elements of product marketing and then gives lots of tactical examples and tools, product go-to-market canvas and messaging canvas, that they can apply and how they do their work. It was also written from the perspective of if you are a product manager, an engineer, someone that doesn't practice product marketing, how do you understand the function and work better with it as a partner? Start off, I have some lightning round questions for you today. Are you ready for our lightning round questions? Yes. What is your go-to email sign-off? Warmly. What's the best part of your job? Working with smart people. Something that you're new to? Pickleball. Pickleball. Wow. <laughs> That's a new one. <laughs> and what would you say is your professional superpower? Taking really disparate things and bringing them together. Amazing. And if you could tell me a little bit about your career journey um, and how your time in product and product marketing led you to where you are now. I started my career as a product manager for Microsoft Word and the Microsoft Office. And I'd say that's where I really learned a very disciplined approach to go to market. And then I wound up at Netscape in the super early days of the internet where it was just barely controlled chaos. And there I bounced back and forth between product management, product marketing, leading consumer channels. So it really dimensionalized a lot of the different aspects of how product management and product marketing can show up in many different arenas. And then uh, from there, I followed Ben Horowitz and Mark Andreessen to their next startup, which was the first infrastructure as a service company before the world understood clouds, loud cloud, led marketing there and learned a lot about what it's like to be very far ahead of a market and trying to define a category when no one has any handles to define the category with. So that was a whole different level of challenge. And then for the last decade, I've been advising companies and teaching and last seven years working at Costa Noa, working directly with early stage startups to help them put in place a lot of these product marketing practices, which impact both the products they build and how they bring them to market. 
So I'm sure you have a broad perspective on all the different ways that product marketing teams can function, which is something we talk a lot about here on the podcast uh, because it can really look at different at every single company for sure. Exactly. exactly. I think that's one of the biggest challenges of the role of product marketing is mm -hmm. no two companies practice it exactly the same. Like in contrast to product management, where there is one kind of heralded template of this is sort of what everybody's striving and moving toward there. What I tried to do with the book was establish that same level of standard, but even then it will be practiced differently in every company and it will adapt as the companies mm -hmm. mature. So it's, it's challenging for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's so important to hear from other PMMs and their experiences, because sometimes when your own experience of PMM is just what's happening at your company, you kind of lose sight on all the ways it can be different. And especially having a guide like your book on kind of, and, you know, Product Marketing Alliance and different organizations that are trying to, I think, like firm up the discipline and give like templates and structure and mission um, is really appreciated. And I think it's going to pay off um, I think 10 years from now, product marketing will probably look a lot different. I hope so. I, I hope to your point, it's going to have a lot of the same elements that are great about it now, but people will just know what great looks like more consistently. You describe the role of the product marketer in your book as being the ambassador of customer and market reality. So what can this look like in practice for a new PMM? We have a lot of our listeners are aspiring and new PMMs. So as they go into their new companies, how can they be that ambassador of customer and market reality? I think one of the most important things any product marketer can bring is very much the customer's point of view into product discussions. Oftentimes they go to market teams, especially sales, they have that frontline experience or customer success. They're talking to customers every day. And from a market perspective, I'm trying to get you to adopt this product and you're telling me what's in the way. The product teams don't ever hear it that way because when they engage with customers, they are engaging with what are you trying to do and how can I help the product help you get that done? So they don't engage at all with the market reality of how that product gets adopted. So if a product marketer can represent that customer day-to-day -day reality and how that impacts the potential adoption of the product in the market, that is probably the single most important aspect of being that ambassador. Represent that customer and market reality because it is different than what most realize. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think a lot about um, in terms of feedback, like when you are going to users for feedback, oftentimes the people who you're having conversations with are like your happiest customers. They have the best relationships with the CSMs. They're having the best time with the product. They see the full value of it. But oftentimes the perspective you can bring, um, you know, witnessing conversations with people who aren't fully sold in, you can bring that different perspective to product. Exactly. And I think one of the great pleasures of being a product marketer now are the tools in the toolkit that let you do the equivalence of sales ride-alongs without having to be present. So Gong and other sales um, and enablement tools record all of these calls. So I just spoke to someone who is a new product marketer at his company, and he's listening to every gong recording in the last three months and he's that is how he's learning and he's learning what the objections are he's learning where and why there's failure where there's a lack of understanding and those are exactly the kinds of market realities that the product marketer can not just take to the product team but then also improve in the messaging or the go-to-market tactics because you realize you know it's not the product that's in the way 
it's that people's understanding of what can be done in the space is limited and we need to expand that more. So those are the kinds of things that to your point, someone who isn't already a customer will have much, will give you much more market insight on. Absolutely. Yeah. I think everybody who's listening to the podcast for a little while now knows how much of a gong fan I am. And I'm actually <laughs> wearing gong branded socks right now that I got <laughs> from the PMA summit. So you know, I'm an evangelist for them for sure, for that very reason of being able yeah. to listen to exactly what the, your prospects are saying and um, what they're looking for in the product. They are such a great example. They're my favorite example right now on the B2B marketing front of mm -hmm. a, a, pro a product that is killing it in the value proposition. It's fundamentally, quote unquote, a sales tool, but the number of product teams and product marketing teams and marketers I know that find it invaluable to doing their job, everyone's an evangelist. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, they're doing something very, very right. And they're, they're doing many things very right, but I, my hat's off to them. So you talk about um, the four fundamental roles of a product marketer being an ambassador, a strategist, a storyteller, and an evangelist. Which of those roles have you identified most with and which were more difficult for you to master um, as a product marketer and in product? I'd say the one that I identify with most is probably the strategist, because oftentimes that's what I that's what I've spent probably the last decade doing the most of, which is people come to me saying, I have this list of things that I need to do. And I help them take that step back and say, well, what does this all build toward and mm -hmm. how do we paint a picture of how we want to look in the market and then build toward that in a systematic way? Cause that's not intuitive for anyone that's not either in marketing or hasn't actually done marketing that way before. So that has probably been my, my within product marketing, my, my closest superpower. And the one that's been, I'd say most challenging for me is the evangelist because there's so many ways in which that can now be done and sort of the mo modern customer journey. And it's the one where as a product marketer, you don't have your hands on most of those tools and they're specialists, like what happens mm -hmm. in social and even within each social domain, like what you do on Instagram versus how you do it on LinkedIn versus how you do it on Twitter. There's different arts to being really successful in all of those social realms. So, mm -hmm they do require specialists to be really good. So it's how do you how do you interface with that specialty so that they are able to be great at what they do, but they still incorporate some of the magic of the product that helps position you for where you wanna be seen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love this concept of the different roles of the PMM. I think it can be an intimidating specialty to start in because there are all of these different areas that I think you can feel like, wow, I have to be amazing at all of these different things <laughs> eventually. And um, do you have any advice for new PMMs that may identify with one of the roles more than the other, but are looking to grow as a PMM and say they really identify as a storyteller? For example, like coming from content, I'd say that was probably the number one one that I identified as, but what if they're a storyteller who wants to grow as a strategist or an evangelist? Well, I put the four fundamentals in a specific order on purpose because I believe that each of the, each of the skills requires and builds on the one that precedes it. So ambassador of customer and market insights, that's number one on purpose because you can't do your job well unless you have those insights. Uh, number two is the strategist. 
So if you come in strong with a storyteller, which is number three, then I'd work on, well, of course you have to have that customer knowledge to be able to do anything. So you can't pass go without one. <laughs> and then strategist is probably that next most important one to build that muscle for, because you want to see how all of this, even if you sit in content, how does all this content build toward the market position we want to hold, which is also an aspect of the storyteller, which is number three, messaging and mm -hmm. positioning. But you can't get there without everything you do adding up to something. So that's why the strategist precedes it. And then evangelist, because so much of it is done through specialties, that's why that's number four. So if you're coming up from one of those specialties and trying to say, okay, well, now I'm a product marketer, you want to start at the top, which is, okay, how do I really immerse myself in understanding my customer's journey and what the product, how the product intersects with that so I can help direct that strategy so that each of the things we do tactically, which might be your strength, is adding up to where we want to go. And then you just learn the, the different specialties along the way and how, how you might get better at using events for pipeline generation uh, and or brand building. And you make a choice and say, we're not trying to do both as one or the other. And it's okay to, to let go of one objective because it's very important to do it for this particular reason. So. That's what I'd recommend for anyone that is coming up for any of these and go, go, go through them and build the muscles in the, in the, in terms of importance in that order. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I love the concept of it being an order because it really takes the pressure off of you having to be everything all at once. Um, I think especially for people who might make a shift like later in their career and they're not necessarily starting off as a PMM specialist or associate PMM and are jumping right to manager level, there's this pressure of like, oh my gosh, like I have to be an evangelist right away. But, you know, logically, if you don't know about the customer and the product, there's no way you can be an evangelist. <laughs> like, totally. That's just, it's just totally. not possible. Exactly. Exactly. And it's amazing despite, you know, intellectually that makes so much sense. But how many people try and just jump in and do the job without making that investment in that, that depth of, of customer and market knowledge. And I'd say one of the, you asked about my early career, one of the greatest gifts I got when I landed at Microsoft was my, my first special that you'd have a, you'd have specialty areas was competitive re, uh, competition and research. And so I had to dive deep into market, the market research, and I really had to understand the competition. But it gave me such an incredible foundation from which I could learn and understand and 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 help direct market tactics because I under I had this deep understanding of these important market dynamics, the customer data and and what the competition was doing. Don't be afraid to be the customer advocate. I'm actually giving a talk on Monday to a bunch of consumer packaged good companies saying you have to be the advocate for the customer because the product teams don't see what they're missing. And most people think they know the customer. And I, it was always surprising when I would go into companies to work with them, how much we intellectualize what the customer is and what they're doing. And we don't really think, all right, what is Maggie actually doing when she comes in and she sits down to start her day? And where does this fit into her flow? And when might she get frustrated enough that she decides it's time to solve the problem? That's a, a really different way of thinking about customers. And would you say too, like there's the inclination to maybe not keep up to date with like the current reality of the customer that you may have really had a firm understanding of it a year ago or two years ago, but then 
and people have this vision of who the customer is, but then the product evolves and the market evolves and you might need to come back in and be like, hey, this is, let's update our thinking. You, do you think that happens a good amount at companies too? I think it happens a ton. And especially with, at, at, this is true for consume, B2C and, and B2B, mm-hmm. but when you have a highly competitive environment, that's in particular where things might shift and, you, and you're not realizing it. Oh, this, this competitor has inside of a quarter made this shift and how they come at us and how they deposition us. Mm-hmm. So it actually becomes really important to understand some of those dynamics. So on the B2B side, paying attention to what your field or your sales force is seeing and hearing mm-hmm. when they're in, on the front lines and on the consumer side, really leaning in and paying attention to the, the passive signals you're seeing on social and, and feedback, or if you're, there's the engagement is slowly lowering. You have to look at a lot of different factors to really intuit what's happening in the market. And mm-hmm. it's not always obvious. Absolutely. And I'd like to take this as a moment for a public service announcement for everyone to stop and go update their battle cards, their competitive battle cards. Because- <laughs> Well then, you know, I'm saying this to the audience, but I'm also saying this to myself. So (laughs) (laughs) this is as much as a a note to self as anything. So you mentioned starting off your career um, in product at Microsoft. Is there anything that new PMM should know when approaching the communication and collaboration process with the product team? I think the most important thing is to be respectful and a really great listener. I have seen first-time PMMs come into those product meetings believing that they have to establish value by talking product talk and realize they're like, you're you're the outsider there. And so listen, learn, and bring what you uniquely have to bring to the conversation, which is the customer market perspective, and earn your, your stripes and your place in that group where they realize, you know what, we aren't making decisions based on market. For example, weekly standup and everyone's just going through the backlog saying like, all right, what can we get done this week? And just to raise the question saying, well, next week is Labor Day and we're actually doing this campaign push the week after. Is there something we want to prioritize differently based on that market timing that doesn't change, that doesn't make a product decision on their behalf, Mm -hmm. but it gives them market information through which to make a product decision. And that's adding incredible value to how they're prioritizing and thinking about things. So that's how you kind of earn your value on that, that team. And I think it's essential because the value you can add to that team is so high and, and you want them to experience it in these very specific ways before saying like, all right, well, let me expand and, and, and widen that wedge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I think that's such a great point. I had a meeting with one of my product managers um, this week. She she wanted some advice for in-product messaging. And then after our conversation, she's like, this is great. Like, I just needed a way to simplify this and this was awesome. And I'm really happy that she was able to kind of rely on me for that and know that she could come to me. So that was, that was like a green check to me um, where I was like, oh yeah, you know, we figured this out. We figured out where she can lean on me for things and I can lean on her for things. Yeah. And I, what you described, Maggie, is the perfect partnership between product and product marketing, which is, hey, I need a better way to talk about this. Can you help me? Mm-hmm. The bad version of that is the product team. And this someone just told me this example <laughs> last week. Or like, the product team came up with, with this deck 
and they handed it over to the PMM saying, can you make this look pretty? And I was like, <laughs> what? Are you kidding me? <laughs> but it was, they were astounded that that's what they, they thought. And they said, well, mm -hmm. no, let's, and, and of course, when she read the deck, she's like, this is not something that you make pretty. This is, this is a product deck. Where is this going? Yeah. Who is this for? And how do we make this work for its intended purpose? Can you make this look pretty? I think is also like a cringe phase specifically for designers. I always try not to say that to our designer because I know that's like a common phrase. And so I know you mentioned Gong as an example, but I would love another recent example of a company you've seen that's able to generate true love for their products. And what are some ways that you think they've been able to accomplish this? And I ask this because your book is named Loved. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, the one that has literally blown my socks off mm -hmm. that's totally new to me is called Last Crumb. And it's a combination of two of my most favorite things, which is great cookies and great marketing. <laughs> it's a cookie company out of Los Angeles where the only way to get it is to like, they, 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 they drew drops. And so you have to be on the lit, the wait list for the drops to occur. And then you have to order the box. You can't order that just your favorite cookies. You have to order the whole $140 box for 12 cookies. So it just gives you a sense of like, well, this better be really amazing. But the box arrives and the box is this incredible high-end box. And you, and it says, open the damn box and you open it and every cookie has delightful names like floor like lava or donkey kong and um netflix and crunch and so unexpected and surprising and then you turn them over and you read the, the what you expect which is about the cookie and it's got so much sass but then even the ingredient list has sass like they'll say things like vanilla because why would we use anything artificial or instead of food coloring, they'll say like, we don't have any chemists. So they've chosen to have an attitude and they want to feel different and they deliver against it in every single capacity, the product, the premium pricing, the packaging, just the, every aspect of how they bring the product to market. It just has blown my mind. So it is, uh, I keep ordering it and sending it to people going like, this is amazing. <laughs> and it's inspired. Like I've you know, done, I've looked at the packaging with other B2B companies as inspiration. Yeah. I think what stands out to me in that example is you're talking about the unique brand voice and like the humanness of it. And do you think you've seen a trend? Cause I know you said you were showing it to B2B companies. Like, have you seen a trend of B2B companies trying to adopt to that? Like lovable brand voice attributes? And do you see that as kind of something that people are going to be doing more and more in the future? I absolutely have seen a multi-year trend to what I would call more authentic messaging in mm. across the board, consumer as well. As, and, and I encourage it highly in B2B. And I think the most successful companies that have been total breakouts in B2B have more authentic voices. So Sendesk is the example I talk about in the book and Gong, I think does an outstanding job where they mm -hmm. talk to people as humans. All of their emails are very, very short. It's not authoritative. It's authoritative in the data, but not in tone or voice. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a fine and challenging line for most companies to ride, but for sure, the modern customer journey doesn't matter what kind of company you are. It demands more of that authentic connection. Yeah. I love that concept of authenticity and finding whatever authenticity means for your brand. 
it kind of felt for a while like there were two types of companies. There were companies that had the Wendy's voice, like you know the Wendy's Twitter, yeah. how they were like <laughs> totally roasting people. Sassy, yeah. <laughs> it's like you had millennial humor Wendy's voice or you had a corporate brand. And now I feel like some different personalities and authenticity is kind of popping up in between. I, I talk about this in the book that part of why it's so important in modern marketing to have that authentic connection is it doesn't matter what you do, mm-hmm. the number of competitors that do something either very similar or totally overlapping. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> all you do is just describe what you do in a, in a plain but understandable way, but don't try and strive for that connection. Mm-hmm. You're just going to look like everybody else. So it's, it's remarkable how difficult it is for B2B brands to get there. But again, the ones that are really standing out are the ones that realize and are able to elevate and connect at that level. Yeah. I love that. So if you could go back to your first day, I'm going to say your first day in product and give yourself a piece of advice, what would it be? Get more feedback faster and be more open. I think I was very, in my early in my career, I was so concerned about trying to be right Mm -hmm. and be knowledgeable and have the answer. And I felt like I'm not doing my job if I'm not showing up having really good answers. And there's a big learning curve. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And if you feel more open as opposed to more expert, then more people are willing to help you get there because there's simply more of an opening to give you information that might help you along. So I'd say more open and then getting that feedback of where perhaps I might've seemed closed. Yeah. And I loved your story too, in the book of working at Microsoft, especially um, on spell check. It's just so cool because something that you just see every day in life. And now you, every time I'm sure you open up a Word document, you must have that moment of like, oh my gosh, I helped launch that. Like, what is that feeling like? It's, it's cool. It's, uh, I really realized it when I was writing it, the book, because I was like, this is a, a universal reference point that everybody can know. And now they can know mm-hmm. a little bit of the history behind it. And it was, it was this engineer who basically he took to heart the, the business unit manager said, had an older grand, an older mother. And he's like, I want this to be easy enough for my mother to use. <laughs> and he just had all this inspiration around there's all this idle time mm-hmm. where the processor is not being used, where we're not hitting save and we're expecting the user to go and hit these buttons. And why can't we do it on their behalf? And it seems so obvious now, but it's remarkable how much, at, even in modern products today, how much expect and put the burden on the user to know what to do next and figure it out and drive them to that as opposed to, hmm, can we use this on their behalf? Do we kind of know what they intend to do? So it it totally changed me and shaped me as a product manager. hundred mm-hmm. percent. I was like, what 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 can we use on behalf of the user as opposed to trying to create all the options for them to figure out on their own? So mm-hmm. it was it really shaped me. Yeah. That's such like a fundamental experience to have as one of your first launches. That's like kind of iconic. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. um, I I feel very, very lucky. (laughs) And thank you. And the engineer, whoever created this um, on behalf of everybody who is not the best speller, um, I'm going to include myself into that category. (laughs) Worst speller. (laughs) Uh, So much appreciated, um, especially through my college years saved me. So yeah. 
well, beyond saving, so this is a small thing, like it actually makes you a better speller because you yeah. see, oh, I, I keep misspelling this word. So <laughs> that was a, a happy, a happy accidental outcome. Yeah, you're just like, oh my gosh, we're teaching the world to spell accidentally. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Love how that works. So what is a skill that you personally are looking to grow over the next year or so? Probably the biggest one that I'm working on now is like the team that I work with at Costa Noa, everybody has a different style in terms of what, what feels good to them and being able to meet everyone's individual style needs, but maintain my own. So it's, it's kind of like super ninja <laughs> level <laughs> of stuff where it's like, how do, how do you lead and, and still own your own style? But, but bend toward what people need from you so they feel like they're getting what they need from you in their own way. So it's, it's, it's subtle. Yeah. And it's all this, it's very, very focused on subtle, soft skills. So one person I work with, she wants to learn things faster. And so she wants to be CC'd on everything because that will, she, she gets the information and she can learn along with me as these things are happening. Mm -hmm. Other, most people are like, Oh, don't CC me on anything. <laughs> give, me the, give me the summary at the end of the day or at the end of the month. Yeah. So super, super different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm sure your team really appreciates that. Like learning what they need um, and trying to adapt to that. I'm sure it's good to know your audience for sure. Even internally. Yeah. Yeah, inter internally. So, uh, you know, I teach at UC Berkeley and I teach engineering grad students and many of them go like, well, why do I need to know marketing? I'm like, it doesn't matter what job you do, you mm -hmm. will be marketing. And if you are an engineer, at some point you're going to be communicating something that's important for people above you to know and understand and make a very thoughtful decision about and how you choose to communicate that and what you elevate and make visible will drive the decision. And that is a, a version of marketing that what you've chosen, how you talk about it, all those same aspects still apply the data that you bring in that mm -hmm. market relevance. So they feel that they can make an informed and thoughtful decision. So it, it is a, it's a crucial skill, no matter, no matter where you sit and what, no matter what job you do. And do you have a book or podcast recommendation for the new to PMM crew? Well, I'm a huge fan always of Made to Stick by the Heath Brothers, mm -hmm. because I think so much of what PMMs do is help provide guidance on what gets created tactically in marketing. And a lot of what I see is people check boxes like, oh, well, we did this, we did that, we did a webinar, we did that. But the degree of execution and how well it's done absolutely impacts whether or not it is impactful and, and successful. And so I, I feel like the, you know, their success criteria is a great way to look at, let me see if this is going to break through. Mm -hmm. And so it's just a, if you haven't read it, it's a wonderful way to have a criteria for yourself on how do I measure whether or not this is going to be good enough and, mm -hmm. and help us get there. Sometimes we, we lack the vocabulary or framework that helps drive things there. So that's one of my favorites. And I think there, there's so many great podcasts. It's hard to recommend one. And I would just say the, a, like I just did one on voices of product management, which is about people of color that are new to product marketing and how do they think about that or mm -hmm. product coffee, product managers that are trying to unpack and understand each aspect of, of product. But I say there are very few bad ones and <laughs> the embarrassment of choice and riches that we have these days. Yes. I, everybody I've met in the 
like product marketing, product management podcast space has been very lovely and I support them all. So go listen to their content too. It's all, yeah. all amazing. Love hearing everybody's perspective. Exactly. And do you have any final thoughts for our audience of new and aspiring product marketers? I would say probably the biggest thing if you are new is it can get overwhelming to think, oh my gosh, there's so much I have to do and to feel spread peanut butter thin mm -hmm. or some of the other frameworks that exist out there have like five layers or 27 things that you need to do. And you're like, oh my God, I'll never <laughs> get there. And which is why I very intentionally simplified it. Like these are the four things. There's going to be a tremendous amount of outputs to achieve mm -hmm. any of those things. But to pick your head up at the end of every single week and say, am I look working on the right stuff? Am I elevating my practice? And to do that on a weekly basis. And that's what's going to help elevate you and make you better at your craft faster than anything else. I love that perspective. Well, thank you so much, Martina. It has been amazing having you on the podcast. Oh, Mackie, thank, thank you for doing what you're doing, which is putting together a community of people who want to learn and grow at the early stages of their career. I think that's fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode. As a reminder, you can get 10% off the Product Marketing Alliance's core certification course by using the code new to pmm I just finished up the core certification course myself and can't recommend it enough. I also wanted to thank all of our amazing guests for season two and you, our listeners. I'm so excited for what season three has in store and hope to see you back here then.